Welcome back, everybody. We are back here at Conviction Gaming for our second installment of Brewing with Conviction. I am Chris Martin, and it is January 9th. We are super pumped to do our second cast. I'm joined actually by our co-host, Jesus Garcia. Jesus, thanks for coming back and, and being here tonight, and, and let's, let's get this thing going. Yeah, man. Excited to be back. We're going to be talking tonight a little bit about ourselves. We're going to do a get to know us. We we did one podcast to kick things off talking about foils last week and I think it was a it was a big success. It went over very well and and we covered quite a bit in that 1 hour stretch. Today as our second podcast it's kind of like a belated get to know us. We probably could have done that the first time around, but folks listening, you might be saying who who's this Chris Martin guy? Who's this Jesus Garcia guy? Like what's your backdrop? And so we're going to talk about ourselves a little bit and give a little bit of background on our how we got started in Magic, why Magic's important to us, some of the decks that we enjoy in Commander, uh what formats we prefer. So I kind of just spoiled that, but um, and then we're actually at the very end going to talk about the Theros spoilers as well. There's been a few cards in the last 24 hours as we've received the uh, full spoiler for Theros at this point. We're going to go ahead and cover those and and kind of give our reactions, and that, that'll do it. That'll probably fill the full hour. So, Jesus, let's just go ahead and kick this off. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your background with Magic. Where did, where did you start? How did, how did you get your start? What set was it? And, you know, what got you into Magic in the first place? I actually started not too long ago. I started with Kaladesh block. <laughs> so you could say I'm I'm relatively new to Magic. It's only been, what, almost three years about? A little more than that since Kaladesh. And so at the time, Standard was awful. My roommate at college was annoying me about, play, about joining him and playing Modern. And the school uh, tabletop club had a lot of people who played Commander. So from there, I kind of got into Commander and Modern and a little bit of Legacy, actually, uh, by playing with these guys, proxying out decks, and just kind of figuring out my playstyle. You just hinted at something I was going to ask you. So you, how did you get your start with actual cards, right? How did you get tangible cards? It sounds like you started with, you just said, I heard you say proxy. Yeah, I started with roommate and my friends at college told me, don't spend the money right away, learn to play the game first, and then you can figure out what you want to buy. They suggested different decks that I play in, like, Legacy, Modern, and Commander. I originally built an Abzan Tokens list for Modern. This deck was super budget, probably around $15 at most. And But my go-to deck was actually a deck I would often borrow from my friend, which happened to be Mono Blue Affinity. <laughs> from there, I just fell in love with Artifacts. So you started with a deck at $15 that was basically the cost of one single land for most people's modern decks and made it work? Yeah, basically. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Uh, because what was at the time, this was before the Amulet Titan deck really started picking up steam in modern. So I picked up two copies of Amulet of Vigor at around $3 each from my local card shop. And then from there, I got a playset of Lingering Souls, a bunch of the tapped lands which enter to gain me life. I got a playset of Soul Warden and Sutcher Priest and ended up running the Green Soul Warden. So I was essentially a Abzan Soul Sisters, but my main way to win was either run you over with tokens or just outvalue you. So you probably like playing like Burn, for example. Burn was a decent matchup with all the Soul Sisters being able to give you life gain and stuff, oh, yeah. I imagine. Uh, th those, those games are too easy. 
Well, that, that's awesome. I, I didn't realize that you started with kind of started more on like the modern scene. Um, and you mentioned Commander. So you got into Commander by by proxy and way of modern, or did you start with both? So I was, I went from modern to legacy, then back to Commander. <laughs> so because um, despite people playing a lot of modern uh, at the club, the people who I was closer with, a few of my friends, Mac and Ulrich, they were legacy players, so they would come in with their legacy decks, have me proxy out a list. This is when I got around to playing Turbo Depths, so the Dark Depths combo with Vampire Hex Mage or Thespian Stage. I'd be just proxying those decks, playing with them, uh, and then that's how I kind of really started leaning more into the spiky side of Commander, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, so the yeah, so the combination of Kaladesh with all the artifacts and and you borrowing an affinity deck plus some turbo depths in legacy got you into your Brea combo mentality and and you've basically never never changed since then I imagine. Not really. Not since I've known you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you? Where'd you start cuz you've talked about playing for an extremely long time and we've discussed this a little bit, but honestly, I, I kind of want to figure out how it was early on you and i have known each other for a couple years now but i don't know that we've ever really traded this information too much i actually started all the way back in technically opened packs during the urza's block so that I, I go back to figure mid to late 90s that was probably 97 i was i was 10 years old to date myself and the urza's block was on the back end uh, my my one of my best friends nick he and and a handful of others on our block they were all into pokemon actually and they got me into that but i i never really took to pokemon i kind of did it because of the fad at the time you know i bought some cards and Everybody was trading at lunch. I, I'll never forget this one day in like fifth grade. I, I went to the cafeteria for lunch and my entire table of friends that I would always sit with, every single one of them except me had like a binder of Pokemon cards and they all busted out. And, you know, guys are like these, it wasn't just guys, guys and girls. They're like pulling out their like Charizard and their, their, I don't know, Snorlax foil. And I just remember all those times. And I had nothing. I, I was into sports cards at that point to to a kind of a, a limited extent, but I really hadn't gotten into any sort of collectible trading card game at all. And so I got into Pokemon. My buddy gave me a bunch of those and then was like, oh, and by the way, we're checking out this other game, Magic the Gathering. And he gave me a, a, a very small stack. Not, I don't even think I had enough to to build a deck at that point. And so anyway, we, we used to take our bikes and ride up to our local grocery store, Jewel. Anyway, we would go to the grocery store and we'd, we'd hit up the, at, at that point in time, they would sell packs of both magic cards and then like baseball and football cards. And anyway, I'll never forget this. We went up and we each brought $10 so you could buy three packs for 10 bucks at the time, um, including tax. You'd actually get some change back. It's kind of crazy to think about that. Packs were, I want to say $2.99, uh, if I remember correctly. And so you'd actually get money back at that point in time if you gave $10 and Anyway, I opened an Urza's Urza saga, right? And and pulled a Gaius Cradle, actually. My my friends and I, we pulled a Gaius Cradle. And at the time we were like, what the heck is this land? Like Gaius Cradle, what does this do? And we kind of threw it aside and we still have that card today from our kind of collection of the cards from our group. I still have it in my my Seton Druid Tribal Commander deck. So all those guys, none of them play magic anymore. Okay. Gaius Cradle. God, I wish I could have one. <laughs> 
it, it's beat to heck. I mean, that thing has seen, it's actually remarkable that it's not damaged. It's probably heavily played by grading standards. I could post a photo of this with the cast um, just to, just for some, some, you know, nostalgia, but yeah, it's probably heavily played. It has seen hell and back and it has probably been owned by at least three, maybe four of my friends. I, I can think of three of us for sure have owned it. And there's one, one guy in our group that I, I'm not sure if he ever used it in a deck or not, but um, it's been passed back and forth. It's been played. I think the, the, the funniest thing about the gift cradle is it probably didn't actually see a sleeve until I kind of pseudo inherited it in like 2010. So that thing, that thing was probably unsleeved for about 13 years. <laughs> so, okay. Kaladesh for you combo player. I can, I'll throw this in, into the mix. I started in really playing an in invasion. And one of my first memorable packs was pulling a Derrick the igniter Derrick and, and that pack of legendary dragons was the second kind of installment of legendary dragons in, in, in magic's history uh, as, as like a cycle, like a full cycle. Uh, and I happened to pull a Derrick which I immediately just fell in love with. And then ha I, I immediately got the idea of like, Oh my gosh, I have to build a three color dragon deck. It was a Jun dra dragon deck and, and built it around Derrick and slowly acquired the other dragons from that same set, Krosis and Rith and so on and so forth and built a five color dragons, basically dragons tribal, um, which I had, I still have pieces of to this day as a 60 card deck. It was just, you know, a kitchen table magic we used to play. And that deck kind of got banned from our group because it was so powerful. I had birds of paradise and I used the veteran explorer primal growth combo where I could, I could play a veteran explorer turn one or, or, or sorry, a birds of paradise turn one and then turn two veteran explorer and, and, uh, turn three, I was primal growthing and putting in a bunch of lands into play and have like a dragon on turn four. So that deck didn't get to stick around on the on our kitchen table, but you can understand why I got into dragons as like my favorite EDH deck from there. Honestly, like it kind of surprises me how much those first impressions really matter. I used to, I mentioned this a little bit to you before, but I played a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh before I played Magic. And I mentioned this sometimes on Twitter, too. The main reason why I left Yu-Gi-Oh! was the game just wasn't the same anymore. Like, I had a fantastic first impression. I played this ridiculous combo deck, consistently win turn one, hence why it was $300, sold it when it became banned to non-existence, and then just didn't play any TCGs for like a year or, anything, or something? Year? Two years? And then roommates shoved magic onto me. It's remarkable how the combination of who you learn the game from and then like your first, I don't know, first packs or first memories with the game. You know, when I look back, like I think about pulling that Derrick's Igniter and I can actually like remember that day. I can't remember, you know, the details, but I remember being with my friends. I remember pulling it out of the very first pack. I remember my buddy Greg pulling a Corrosis a few packs later out of his packs and being like, oh my gosh, I'll give you everything I have for your Corrosis. Like I'll treat you, I'll, I will treat you all 60 cards that I just opened out of these packs besides the Derrick's. You can have them all. I won't even look at them. I want that Corrosis. Um, and I got the Corrosis, uh, but you know, it's just so funny looking back on that. So, all right. So we talked about when we started, um, let's talk a little bit about interest in brewing. We, we've already covered, you, you love playing combo, I love playing tribal, but we could probably branch out from that a little bit. I, I'd love to talk about, maybe just start with like your top two or three favorite commanders out of the decks you have. Out of the decks I currently have, or out of the decks I've brewed? Because there's a 
big difference in numbers. <laughs> yeah, that's a, good, that's a good clarification. I would say probably the decks you owned and have played, even if you've played test them, I know you brew decks and you play test them using that, that application on the computer. So if it, if it comes to that, maybe it's you know ones that you've played, you've had experience with. Okay, so I've probably in only about what three maybe a little bit longer years i've probably brewed around 60 ish decks my favorite commanders by far have been my current brea deck it's a brea combo artifact good stuff when you look at the deck it looks like a mess but it somehow works. I don't know why, it just does. Then, other than that, I lean a lot more towards tribal strategies from uh, what I've realized. Um, my Edgar Markov deck that I still have and I still use is a very close second. It was the first deck I actually ever completed. Like, I bought all the cards, I finished the deck, and you've seen me play it a few times. Yeah. How do you how do you with with an Edgar Markov for example and really this is a, applicable to most if not pretty much all tribal maybe not all zombies might be one of the exceptions to this but how do you combat board wipes because in tribal you know I, I play tribal a lot too I would say it's probably my of any strategy it's the one I'm both most familiar with and and probably would you know quote unquote call it my specialty like I, I love refining tribal decks I'd love to get your take on that how do you how do you combat board wipes? I'll give you my thoughts after that, because I, I have some as well. Since we're on the topic of tribal, my third deck is actually an Una. So my third favorite is an Una combo uh, fairy tribal hybrid. Um, and in both that deck and my Edgar Markov deck, I love board wipes. I love wiping the board continuously and kind of getting rid of a lot of, a lot of people's non-token creatures. Because I lean heavily on tokens whenever I play tribal. Even when I play my Sliver deck that I'm currently building, I've realized more often than not, I play Sliver Overlord, I get Sliver Queen, and I make a ton of tokens. So then uh, that way, if they die, I don't care as much. So the way I kind of combat board wipes is I generate a lot of tokens that I don't care if they die, and then I have a few key creatures which love my things dying. In my Fairy deck, I actually do have a Zulaport Cutthroat, one of the loops that I have in that deck is I play I play Una, I mill someone, generate fairy tokens. Then I have an Ashnod's altar to sacrifice those fairies to feed more mana into Una to mill people for more. By doing that, I have Zulaport Cutthroat also draining my opponents, attacking them from multiple angles. In my Edgar Markov deck, I'm vampires. I uh, am much more lenient on Orzov than other people's brews, which I'm lenient on Rakdos. So I have all those different aristocrats um, and recursion spells, so I can just let my entire board die, drain everyone on the table, or even kill people in response to them uh, killing my board, and then just bring back the key pieces I actually care about. Yeah, I, I run the Scion of the Ur Dragon, which is easily my most refined. And, and you know, I guess while we're on the top three, my, my top three, I actually own all three of them. It's it's Scion of the Ur Dragon. I love my Gishath deck, it's a Dino Tribal. And then I have Niv-Mizzet Perun, which is my third favorite. It's more of like a spell slinger. It's, it's actually more of an extra turns than a spell slinger. But with regard to Tribal, the majority of the decks I have built are Tribal. I have a Druid deck. I have an ally deck. I have a Najila Warrior deck, which are but which is budget. I've got an Arcades. 
wall deck, very budget. I'm probably missing some, but long story short, you kind of get the picture. The thing I always run into with all of these decks is the impact of one singular board wipe and, and how hard it is to rebuild from there. And so that, that was kind of the inspiration for the question. So some of my best decks, the, the Gishath, the Scion, both of those tribal decks are very resilient against board wipes, almost resilient to the point where they, they are encouraging, like they're, they, they're okay with board wipes because the board wipe actually is almost advantageous because it's setting back my opponents. And the way I've kind of built those decks is uh, the Scion is, is particularly nice because I have access to all five colors. So it leans on some some reanimator effects. It's got obviously the base package of reanimate and animate dead. And then it has some of the top end reanimator cards like uh, Rise of the Dark Realms, as well as Primeval's Glorious Rebirth. And those both combine, you know, kind of in the later state. If, if the game is still going at turn six or seven, there's a pretty strong likelihood that I'm going to resolve one of those and and swing with a bunch of hasty dragons or something along those lines and end and the game very quickly. So that deck aside, that one's a little bit more on the competitive side. You got to see that at Command Fest. But uh, Gishath is really a lot of fun. Gishath, I've used a lot of kind of unique cards that, in fact, cards that I don't think are very well known by kind of the broader population. Some of them are older in nature. Uh, one of them is... I, I, in fact, I've actually, I, I don't know, stupidly or mistakenly speculated on this card, thinking like me knowing that it's good is going to make people want to buy it. That was dumb of me. But the uh, the card was Death by Death or Glory, and it's from Invasion. And you basically, it's kind of like a factor fiction for your graveyard. You I think it's five mana. I don't have it in front of me, but you split your graveyard, all the creatures into two piles, and then pick one. Um, and, and that pile comes back to the, to the battlefield. And so getting board wiped with that card in hand is like, oh, okay, well, yeah, you cut my army in half, but here, here's the, uh, here's, here's all these really aggressive dinosaurs and they're going to all come back. Some of them have ETBs on them. And so you're basically going to lose. <laughs> um, so that card's awesome. And another card that I use, I think you may have seen me playing this. You know, some of my friends have, have remarked about how card this, how well this card performs in Gishath is favor of the mighty, where you get protection, all your creatures with the high, it's sorry. It's all creatures with the highest converted mana cost gain protection from all colors and favor of the mighty is, it's one of those cards where you play it and people look at it like, what does that do again? I've never heard of it before. It's from Lorwyn, I'm pretty sure. Um, and it's just like a two-mana enchantment. Anyway, that card completely mitigates all targeted removal because dinosaurs generally, it's very rare that I don't have highest converted mana cost on the board. Uh, and, and so as a result of that, the only way you can really knock out Gishath, which is hasty, is if you have a board wipe in hand. And even at that, I typically, with Favor of the Mighty resolved on the battlefield, I can at least get that swing in with Gishath. And the kicker, he has protection, so he's not blockable. <laughs> so th those are kind Light of... Like steel. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, you pretty much need, like, you need, like, an Eldrazi Titan or, or yeah, like a Blightsteel to be able to, to beat it once I have... Be beat that deck once I have Favor of the Mighty down. So, anyway, those are a couple of the ways that I combat it. I, I just kind of thought that question was interesting because for folks interested in building tribal, if you're, if you're newer to the game and you're getting into it, tribal is typically a great place. I would even say it's the best place to start in the commander format because it's generally really easy to build a tribal deck. 
and you know and and see synergies unfolding but one of the biggest enemies of a tribal deck is just you know that that timely board wipe that wipes out 80 of your creatures and now you're rebuilding for three turns for example I, the biggest weakness of tribal is definitely how glass cannon it is like i like to use board wipes despite my how glass cannon i am uh, usually because i am an aristocrat strategy but I can see what you mean with anything else. I'm kind of struggling a little bit with my sliver deck because of that. I get board wiped more. Like, if I get board wiped more than I want to, then I'm just screwed. So, yeah. Yeah. A lot of, I think, generally speaking, from my experience, like I said, I have allies, druids, warriors. I have a bunch of these other tribal decks. And, and, the the Gishath and Scion deck run extremely well. I've also put more money into the well, you, you saw the Scion deck. That's like my bread and butter. Yeah. And it's like my entire collection has gone into that deck, but uh, or value of my collection, I should say. But my Gishath deck is very well refined. It's definitely my second most valuable deck in terms of how much time I've spent on it and also how much money I've kind of invested into it in terms of you know perfecting it for lack of a better term. All the other ones are are more on a kind of a budget level i don't know if i can technically call seat and budget because i've got the aforementioned gaius cradle that we pulled as kids in that deck so it like inherently doubles in price but um i struggle with those decks when board wipes hit and, and so that's kind of the that's kind of where i'm at with that i'm trying to figure out ways to to improve those decks with with resiliency we kind of rambled on a bit about about tribal here considering that's just kind of, you and i we both lean a little more towards tribal me more on the combo aspect of it all. Yeah. So, well, you're definitely right. We definitely rambled on about tribal. I, I think to pivot to another topic, which I would love to hear about what's, uh, what's, what's your next deck. You've mentioned uh, Tulane. You wrote an article about, you also mentioned sliver overlord built brewing around slivers. I know that was a secret layer kind of influence there. What, what's your next deck that you're like really focused on truly, not just brewing, but kind of bringing it to life and, and turning it into a, a hundred card deck. Whenever I start something, I always finish with a hundred card deck. The question is whether or not I actually end up putting it into paper. I always play them online with my friends whenever. Right now, the two that I'm hard investing in, I guess three. I'm building a Felden of the Third Path deck for one of my friends. Just kind of a mono red value town deck as a way to get into the format. Other than that, there's Sliver Overlord and Chulane. Those are my, my only real big investments lately. I have always wanted to build a stacks deck, but I don't know what commander to go with. I've been trying to figure it out for a few years now. Brea originally started off as a Sharoom stacks list, actually. And then I found out Brea was a, was a commander. <laughs> for anyone listening, both you know now live, and we have a few folks listening live, or, or you know, if you listen to this after the fact, give Jesus some ideas. If, you, if you're running stacks, shoot him a message on Twitter or uh, DM on Discord. Correction, I have a lot of ideas involving stacks. The problem is that that makes me lean a lot more towards Azorius or Esper. If I'm doing Esper, I'm stuck between like Aminatu, um, Send Triplets, things like that, where I can just take advantage of flickering things and stuff like that. Don't run stacks if I like my friends. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. That actually brings up a really good point we wanted to talk about is our play groups and just the importance of, you know, 
the influence that those had on us and have on us to, to the to this day i i actually am the polar opposite from you i am about as casual of a commander player as it gets i it's so funny because i i'm a very competitive person i grew up very competitive playing a lot of sports and things like that and play competitive video games i used to travel around the country playing halo actually and, and making money that way too when i was a kid and so anyway i i um I, I have like zero interest in winning most of the time, unless I play uh, play my Scion deck, which I obviously care tons about. I'm a super casual player, and Jesus, you, you, I think, came off when I first met you up at Milwaukee at the GP in Milwaukee a couple years ago. You came off to me as being very like laid back and and in the same kind of mentality as me. It was like, yeah, I want to teach other players, and I'm not really, you know, I have casual decks, and here's a little bit about the decks, and then you're like. And I'm building Brea. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I definitely had that wrong. Never mind. Um, and then I saw your deck, you know, only one time at Command Fest. And um, I, I can just say confidently for anyone listening, the Brea deck that Jesus has built is not a casual Brea deck. So let's let's kind of wrap this up. The last thing I wanted to talk about with this, and then we're, I, want, I have three cards I want to get your kind of just instant reaction to in Theros spoilers and the, and I'll I'll mention them now so you know you can start thinking about this it's Shadow Spear Nyx Bloom Ancient and then I actually don't I still haven't seen the formal translation on it but it was the demon that when it when a creature a non-token creature you control dies you can exile it was the one that we were debating on Twitter on the ruling on that and we ended up getting a ruling um so I need to find that that the name of that card but those are the three I wanted to talk about uh, so we'll get to that in a second Last topic about ourselves. I, why is magic so important to you? What what is what is it kind of filling? You know, what role is it filling for you at this stage? Um, you know, your figure. What you said? Th I think three years into playing since Kaladesh Ballpark. Well, I've always been competitive, but I've never been been big on sports. I've always leaned heavily on video games. We've talked a bit how I've been playing. I played Pokemon for a very long time. I became a breeder and actually ended up making money selling shinies to people at my school, stuff like that. For me, it's always it's all about the thought experiments. The process of brewing itself keeps me in the game. I don't really so playing the game is fun and everything, but the best part of it is just theory crafting what insane things I can do. Same goes for why I like Digimon and why I've been playing Digimon Cyber Sleuth religiously lately. I play a lot of strategy games, so I play. I used to play a lot of Command and Conquer, StarCraft Two. I love those games, by the way. I just like actively having to constantly think about the situation, the board state, and learning how to play around that with what's been given to me. A lot of the time, you try to reach out to me. I am in the middle of a league game, for example. <laughs> I play a lot of League of Legends, and I think Magic is just an extension of that. And that's kind of where it is for me. I mean, after I dropped Yu-Gi-Oh, because the game became too one-dimensional, I used to play a lot of Pokemon before that, but quit. I just needed a card game. Honest. I think that's what it came down to. I needed a card game that I can sink myself into, that I couldn't get sick of. And with those oh, and with those games not really having multiple formats or anything expansive, I just fell into magic when it was th well, when a literal deck of cards was thrown at me. My my experience is somewhat similar, obviously, just a lot earlier in my life with the whole Pokemon fad and then and then my friends throwing literally just throwing extra cards at me for both Pokemon and Magic. It's kind of interesting because I never saw myself getting into Magic 
kind of uh, you know like seriously I, I when i was a kid I, I thought it was just a fad in our group pokemon was a fad then then magic was gonna be a fad and then halo came along and i thought that was gonna be a fad and little did i know magic and halo both those two things from a card game standpoint and then the halo you know like video game standpoint that those would have such a lasting impact on my life um and as it is now magic used to fill it's it's weird because it's evolved for me actually it's it's very like when i look back since i started magic was initially just me fitting in in like grade school and then it turned into okay now my really close best friends we all play magic so it was a way for us to we used to play 2v2 kitchen table magic you know or or four four person free for alls and busting out our sixty card casual decks and we honestly didn't even know at that time about all the formats at the time it was like tight two was a format and and we didn't we didn't know about these things and so we just played over the kitchen table without really caring about uh, we knew the rules that was it we knew the rules of the game we we used to even make up rules as kids and we and we were like no we should probably learn the rules so we did that. Uh, but then as we got older and you know we all went away to college and and this became magic became one of our go-to ways of hanging out both in college very early stages of skype we used to play games of magic over skype which was really fun and and very challenging but actually a ton of fun very honor system based so we trusted each other um, but you know it was our way of staying in touch and then when we come home for summers and holidays and things like that it was a go-to um, pastime essentially for us. So that was, you know, the bulk of my years playing Magic were that. And then in the, I kind of, we all sort of outgrew Magic in and in our lives, and we all went different ways. A few guys moved away. A few of my really close friends moved away. One's out in Colorado now. And th when that happened, we had like kind of a fractured play group. So Magic kind of lost its luster for me, and I got into the whole selling side, which without going into a ton of detail about that, I, as you know, run Chicago style gaming online store. And that was a byproduct of what started probably almost 10 years ago at the end of my college days where I was like, well, I don't really need a lot of these magic cards. I'm going to see what they're worth. And back then magic MTG finance wasn't even a thing. Like the internet, you know, social media was like brand new and there wasn't a lot of outlets for this for pricing stuff other than the inquest magazine which jesus you've probably never even heard of um but it's it's basically I've heard of but i haven't <laughs> seen myself <laughs> yeah yeah I, it, it's basically like it was you know a magazine that you could kind of track some of the major card prices and stuff but it was that and ebay those were your options so i sold i sold a bunch of cards on ebay and i got into the selling side and so the last decade basically from 2010 to 20 to now 2020 we my magic experience has not been as much around playing. I still love the game, still super in tune to it. I play it any chance I get, but those chances have been much fewer and far between. And so that's actually the void MTG finance has kind of filled for me is you know, being able to stay into, on top of cards and the metas and, and things like that and, and running a store and buying and buying collections and speculating on cards periodically and and you know so anyway it's 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 been a pastime that i've never been able to to want to step away from and so mtg finance filled that role so i could keep magic close to my heart but not, or, you know and part of my life without necessarily having the opportunity to play as often okay let's wrap this up and we'll talk about these three cards so i started with shadow spear i am pumped for this card and uh, i see one of our listeners bill allen i feel i know you are also pumped about shadow spear 
I wanted to talk about it because I think this card, I, I want to talk about briefly the financial impact, you know, and, and you know, what my kind of, I don't know, estimation of this card in value is and, you know, what's a good price to pick it up at and where we see it going. Jesus, I'd love to get your kind of player perspective on this as well. What formats do you think it's going to appeal to? I'll start, I'll start with you. With Shadow Spear, I can see it having an impact on mono green ramp or mono green big stuff in standard, and maybe even see play in something like a feather deck in Pioneer or some sort of a Mardu Pyromancer style deck where you want to get in with a, well, with one big creature and then maybe go wide if you're forced to play the long game. Like, I can see it seeing play. It's very cheap at one mana with two mana equip. Uh, and then the ability to pay one to have your opponent's creatures both lose both hexproof and indestructible is massive. That is just too big to ignore, especially in Pioneer. For one mana, and you don't even have to have the equipment equipped. That's I, I was going to talk about that. That's that's absurd. You just play it, and then for one mana, any well, you play it turn one, and then for the rest of the game, as long as it doesn't get destroyed, even if you don't equip it, you could just be like. Tap a planes, tap a planes, tap another planes, path to exile your hexproof boggle. Right, right, yeah. Uh, this is definitely a sideboard. Some decks like Feather might run at main board just because trample. Right. I see this being a sideboard card. Like, I see this for sure making it in standard with all these gods, you know, that just came out in oh, Nerf yeah. Beyond Deck. I think th this might be a four of in, in certain decks and maybe even main board because of what you just said, the lifelink trample. Maybe not four, but definitely like a two or three. It's the first equipment I can ever remember that had a, stat, a, a an activated ability that didn't rely on the, the, the equipment being equipped. I don't know if there's any other of those. None of them come to mind in Magic history. Okay. All right. Touche. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of the best equipment of all time is the other one, and I had totally forgotten about that card and that used to give me nightmares actually one of my buddies that we were talking about earlier ran that in one of his 60 card decks anyway shadow spear being able to be played and and have a potential impact on a board state in standard without even a creature on the field is critical the fact that you can play it for one it, think of it this way two mana you play it and you give an opponent's god the loss of the indestructible and then now you can suddenly assassin's trophy or something along those lines and deal with a threat that you may otherwise not have been able to deal with i think that's huge and it's not just creatures it's permanence that's uh, that's another big thing permanence your opponent's control lose hexproof and indestructible until end of turn this means that can even deal with say the lotus field twiddle deck um, it's 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 really good so Okay, so I'm going to talk quickly, uh, wrap this up, and go on to the next card. I, I think Shadow Spear, it, it started pre-ordering at like $299, and I think it's now, I'm going to ballpark this, and I say, last I saw it was at Star City, it was $599. Not sure if it's settled there and it's coming back down. I do think out of the gates that the price will drop down, and you'll have a shot at picking these up at some point in probably the next three months. I don't, I don't know exactly how long this will take, but I'm going to say three months as a ballpark where Shadow Spear, unless it hits as like a like I said, a you know, two of to four of, I think you'll be able to get these for between four and five dollars. I don't think you're gonna see it at three dollars again for a while because of the impact it has. Foils, and Phil is pointing this out in chat as well. The foils on Shadow Spear are going to be most likely insane. 
we just talked about it last week on our cast. EDH players love foils. Shadow Spirit has some appeal, I think, in, in you just mentioned modern, probably all eternal formats as a cyborg card in some capacity. So a card like that, the, the foil multiplier could be three, four, five X potentially. I think that's going to be capped on the non, or I'm sorry, the pack version. And the reason for that is because I think actually the real multiplier is going to go to the extended art foils. The, the art on this is beautiful. The Shadow Spirit just looks really cool. And I imagine that the extended art foil of this is going to, is going to command a significant premium. So that, that's kind of my thoughts on, on that one. I wanted to pivot next to the big bad Nyx Bloom Ancient. I can't, I, so I'm just going to start by saying I can't believe Green got another ridiculous perceived to be most broken card of the set card printed green it's unreal how much love green has been getting at seven mana with a devotion of three green i actually don't see it seeing play in standard modern oh standard or modern it might see some reanimation play in pioneer but i don't quite know what direction it'll go in if you know what i mean um there's quite a few different ideas that some people have been floating around. Uh, predominantly dealing with the Eldrazi, kind of making a um, pseudo-Tron-style deck using this card. But you would need to lean so heavily on reanimation to make it efficient. I think it's going to be super slow. I think the pr the primary game... Well, the primary thing for this card is EDH. I mentioned it earlier, a little bit before the stream. It's kind of a win-more card. At 7 mana, you kind of... At that point, you already have enough mana to do most things you want, unless you're trying to hard cast Eldrazi. Tripling up on mana, as I can only see it really being either a win more style thing, or you're trying to storm off like I want to in Tulane. I, yeah, I, I mean, I can just tell you as a Seton Druid player, this this is a no-brainer in that deck because it already runs an Earthcraft and it also runs uh, Cryptolith Rite. So you just need the card. You need the card draw. That's the problem. This this card is fantastic, but doesn't have the card draw. Right. It doesn't. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's going to help fuel an engine, but without that draw, you you don't. Act, if you don't. Sorry. It's going to act as a mana producing engine for you, but if you don't have the draw to to use that mana, it really doesn't do anything. I, I am looking forward to grabbing copies of this. I, I think the hype on this card is extremely high, primarily because of that win more appeal, right? It, it, it is, yeah. you know, if, if, if some of these other cards that we've compared it to, so for example, one of the big comparisons would be Mana Reflection, right? Because it does, it does a comparable amount of ramp, or I don't know if we would even call it ramp. It's, I guess it's ramp. I, I don't know what a better term would be, but Mana Reflection is a similar similar card in that and so the nice thing about nyx bloom ancient is that it, it will add consistency to decks that want mana reflection i can see where you're coming with this but for like a deck like chulane where you kind of want to combo off and want to take full advantage of that mana for the same amount of mana i'd much rather just play a zendikar resurgent yeah i love zendikar resurgent and i use that in seton as well because more so because of the draw you know we, we were talking about this in your Tulane yeah. article and how the draw power on a deck like that Tulane and seton no matter how you build either of those decks they run very similarly in that you're you're ramping quickly you're putting a ton of low to the ground one zero maybe two tops converted mana cost creatures and then you're hoping to have things like vanquishers banner zendikar resurgent etc so anyway mm -hmm. nix bloom ancient though you know 
I think the hype on this is is extremely high. The price on this was it's like pre-ordering for thirty, even forty dollars, and people were, you know, buying it up. I, I can't see it possibly sticking at that price. I I can't see a scenario where this would ever be run as a four of in like a major format, standard pioneer or modern. You might run maybe like two of these, but these are just dead draws. The lulls factor is is definitely a thing. So you know, there's. There's the lulls factor. I was joking on Twitter that if you have like a, you're going to need TI-83 calculators to keep up with all the mana that you're going to be generating. If you have a combination of like a Zendikar Resurgent and a Nyx Bloom Ancient in, on the field. But in general, I, I agree with you. I, I think it is an EDH card and it, it's the hype is pretty overblown. Look, I'm going to call out to one of my friends, Josh here and quote him in saying, why give you a number when I can give you a function? <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. All right, so final card is Nightmare Shepherd. It's an enchantment creature demon. I think this card's super cool, by the way. Nightmare Shepherd, two black, two, two generic, so four total. Flying, and it's a 4-4. Four, four. Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, you may exile it. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that creature, except it's 1-1, one, one, and it's a nightmare in addition to its other types. So, so two thoughts here. First and foremost, I immediately thought of Chainer which is one of my absolute favorite. I didn't mention this earlier. Chainer is one of my absolute favorite commanders. I have a very jank, like budget, bulk, non-sleeved Chainer deck that I still have to this day that it's never been upgraded. But I want one of these Nightmare Shepherds to put into that deck because of the synergy with Nightmares. They would immediately get a plus one, plus one bonus from Chainer, which is super cool. That being said, I think we we did some ruling, and, and Jesus, this is what I really wanted to talk about. The ruling that we, we were talking on Twitter, uh, Game Jester, who's uh, really well known for building these awesome, awesome, awesome trays to hold your magic cards. Game Jester posted a question basically saying, with Nightmare Shepherd, can I take advantage of this with my commander? So if my commander dies, can I choose to let it go to the graveyard and then exile it? And then when the exile is, when it says you may exile, you choose to exile. And when the zone change is happening, can I choose to put it in the command zone? We had no idea how this worked. And it turned out that the Magic Rules Manager, Eli Schifrin, ultimately chimed in on this thread and said, yes, yes, you can do that. And yes, you can make a copy of your commander and get the 1-1 one, one Nightmare. So that has some pretty serious implications in Commander. I just want to get your take on this card I, and, and see what your thoughts are here. I was right. <laughs> That's the first thing I want to say here. I was right. You got a lot of flack for... I was like, the rules dictate that, hey, you're paying a cost at this point in time. You pay the cost just like you would if you were exiling a Prosh to food chain. And then you're saying, no, I'm just going to replace it. That's what I was trying to say. Nobody said, like, everyone was giving me flack for it. But this I see as a big boon for almost any graveyard deck that wants to take advantage of it. Gisa and Garalf, Marin, Hassiger, like, all those decks that really don't care about their own stats... All those commanders that don't really care about their own stats, but just care about shoving as much crap into the graveyard as possible and taking care of it, this is fantastic for them because you can now even shove the commander into the graveyard. <laughs> yep, exactly. With and, and much you, less workaround. Well, and, and it, 
I, I haven't really brewed a lot around this, mainly because we just got that ruling. I think I think the post was like late yesterday or early this morning is when I read it. So I, I, I haven't taken a whole lot of time to figure out what types of crazy engines this can create. But I got to think that there's some way to make this, you know, recyclable and, and maybe even, I don't know if there's an actual combo here, but the fact that you get the token, so in Aristocrats, you're you're getting that extra value back. It does very explicitly on the card say whenever a non-token creature dies. Um, so you can't use the tokens themselves to create more tokens, which is pretty typical in magic design. You don't want that anyways. But I, I just imagine the brewing wheels are definitely turning. They're starting to for me. They're just moving a little slow. I see Nightmare Shepherd as one of those cards that's very breakable. And I'm going to be honest, I, you know, forget about EEH for a second. Nightmare Shepherd's sneaky in in all the major, you know, kind of constructed formats, the standard through Pioneer and into Modern. I don't know how it would necessarily make waves there, but I could see this being a card that someone, you know, maybe it's like a Saffron Olive does not against the odds, for example, and all of a sudden finds a really cool synergy or, you know, someone submits a deck list with the synergy. I would just keep an eye on this card. I guess that's kind of my bottom line. I, I think this is a card that maybe makes its way into bulk early. You know, and you can get copies of this probably out of the gates for 50 cents to a dollar. I would consider picking up some and, and, you know, in case that deck to make waves and you want to play with it. I fully expect this deck to be on an against odds at some point. Well, I mean, this card to be in against odds at some point. Oh, yeah, Shepard does work well with Yogmoth, uh, as Phil said here. That is a really solid call, actually. That is a really good call. Um, I'm just really excited to brew around this more in EDH. We are pretty much at time here. Any final thoughts, Jesus? I think we should wrap it up. Involving the new cards, I think the two most busted cards, which were Oracle Athasa and this Nightmare Shepherd, because honestly, Flash needs to get banned. <laughs> like even new, yeah, even new Aethros, the shout, oh, the Shroud Veiled can abuse the new demon by just putting gold coins on it. Like Phil ended up mentioning now in the chat. There's just so many ways to break these cards. I love it. <laughs> yeah, your, your, your brewing wheels are churning there, but it's I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm excited to see. I agree with you. Um, I'm excited to see how Theros can play out. I'm, I'm really excited to see Standard. I'm very hopeful that there's going to be a few different decks and, you know, that it's not like an immediately solved format or, or really even a solved format. Hopefully there's some diversity and in, in two, three, four decks even. Ideally, at least three decks can have a place at the tier one level. I would love to see that, especially after what we dealt with, with the Oko, I'll call it the Oko summer. Standard was just, has been so rough. And then before that was the red summer with Dominaria block. It's not been fun. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we get something fresh. Hopefully it's a little more, um, you know, diverse. Something... Yeah. <laughs> diverse is the perfect word. But... Cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. I appreciate the folks that are here in chat, Phil. I appreciate all your contributions, especially you gave us a bunch of great thoughts and, and feedback there. I really appreciate that. And Jesus, thanks for joining. I think that'll wrap it up for our second installment of Brewing with Conviction.